They've called a turn on us three out of four times. And that's a better average than anybody deserves. It's our turn now. So let's not hear anything more about Diane. Bridge to all decks. Red alert, red alert. We got some lights ahead here on Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. I'm Scott Mance. And I'm Steve Morris. And at some point in this episode, I believe I'm going to start speaking in a strange groaning voice. I just think that's going to happen. Well, Steve, as long as your head doesn't spin all the way around, I think I'm okay with that. (laughs) Okay. But we are covering the lights of Zetar on this, or the lights of Zetar as they call it. I've always called it Zetar. And then I was rewatching the episode. And later in the episode, when we finally hear who these, who these beings are, uh, Romain says Zetar. I went, Oh, it's Zetar. So yes, the lights of Zetar. But before we get into that, we're going to do something we always do at the end of the show, but we want to do it at the beginning, beginning of the show. And that is we want to thank you, our loyal enterprisers, for listening to Enterprise Incidents on all your different platforms. Because if you haven't already noticed by the title of this week's episode, we're kind of in the home stretch of our yeah. deep dive journey through the original series. Steve, how do you even feel about that? <laughs> I'll tell you how the I'll tell you the weirdest feeling and it's not rational at all, which is that it real it's just so dumb what I'm about to say, but it surprises me how few episodes there are. Do you know what I mean? Like I, there's just this thing that I've watched my entire life is a huge part of me and I'm like, "Oh, we're almost done with them. That's it. That's all yeah. there are." It's weird. It's weird to me. It, it feels the same way because, you know, this is a series that you and I have been watching for almost as long as we've been alive. Belated happy birthday to you, by the way, my friend. Um, but at the same time, there are episodes that I've watched over and over and over again. And then there are other episodes like today's that I haven't seen in a real, real long time. But because we've been going by episode by episode in production order, you know, you're right. I mean, we started doing this a little more than a year and a half ago, and we're almost at the end. And we would love to know what you enterprisers have been thinking or have thought about our journey through the original series so far. We are not finished yet, but whether you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google, or on YouTube, please let us know what you think. And please be sure to follow our Facebook page on Enterprise Incidents at Facebook. Please make sure to follow us on Twitter at Enter Incidents. Uh, You know, I haven't really been using the Instagram thing, so I'm not going to bother with that. But Steve, how else can people support us if they have been listening to Enterprise Incidents? Well, if you're enjoying the show and you feel like giving back a little bit, maybe offering us a bit of a tip, the easiest way to do it is to look at the show notes on every single episode, wherever you listen to it. Right at the top, there's a link where you can click on it. It'll take you to our page on Anchor, and there you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month, as much as $9.99 a month, and, you know, you pay for all those streaming services. We think we offer a lot of great entertainment, and we could use definitely use your support. Uh, we appreciate your support, and we we are so, so grateful for everyone who's been listening to Enterprise Incidents from the beginning. But now, as we are nearing the end of the original series, we are up to the lights of Zatar. And Steve, what have been your thoughts about this episode over these decades? Well, it's funny. I, I know I've mentioned this a couple of times before, that there were a few episodes that, for whatever random reason, I didn't see as much as others as a kid. I think this is the one I saw the least. I think... This, more than any other episode, is one where I go, 
oh yeah there's that one right yeah. Yeah. and it is funny with the run that we've been on that hasn't been so good and i've continually felt guilty about bashing episode after episode i think this is a step up i don't think it's a fantastic episode but it is a definite improvement over what our last few have been my sentiments exactly, Steve. After the last couple episodes we did, from Whom Gods Destroy to the uh, the Mark, Mark of, of Gideon. Gideon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I forgot the name for a second there. But Steve, I agree with you. Compared to those episodes, especially because the Mark of Gideon was just so dull and boring, uh, the Lights of Zatar is actually pretty briskly paced and very entertaining. I would even say fun. It is a very watchable, eerie episode, and it is great to see a side of Scotty in a, in a very different way, even different from his sort of uh, obsession with Lieutenant Palamas in Who Mourns for Outer Nice, because in this case, with the Lights of Zatar, he is, uh, it is a love story for Scotty, and I think it is another side of James Doohan, and I think he's terrific in this episode, even if Captain Kirk gets irritated with him for, you know, <laughs> neglecting his job as chief engineer for a little bit. I think it's really great to see a different side of Scotty. And I got to tell you, when when I was younger, say it, go ahead. So much younger than before. Thank you. <laughs> today, today. Sorry. <laughs> um, I have a vivid memory of the moment in the episode when the lights penetrate the Enterprise at the end of Act 3. I just remember seeing all the Enterprise crew members running around, and then the co- the corridor is cleared, and you see the lights inside the corridor. I just remember that, for some reason, that memory from when I was a little kid really, really does stick out. But uh, I'm with you. I think this is an episode that that is, is definitely a step up after the last two. I think by late third season standards, it's fine. It's solid for what it is, still flawed, as we will discuss very, very much as we get into the episode. But Lights of Zatar actually premiered on NBC TV on January 31st, 1969. It was the 73rd episode to air, but it was the 74th episode to film. It was shot over seven dates, so it went one day over schedule. It was also the 18th episode to be produced in season three. Now, usually, Steve, I don't get into what number it is for that season, but I bring up the number 18 for season three because I'm going to come back to that number at the end of our deep dive conversation. So keep that in mind. It was shot between November 1st and November 11th, 1968. The total cost for the Lights of Zatar, $164,528. So even with the visual effects of the lights done by Van Der Veer photo effects, the lights of Zatar came in almost $14,000 under budget, which I would say is a miracle (laughs) by this point. The score was tracked, but I'm sure you will recognize that most of the music in this episode was lifted from where no man has gone before. And I think that the music from Where No Man Has Gone Before, which was composed by Alexander Courage, actually right. fits this episode quite well. So The Lights of Zatar was directed by Herb Kenwith. It was his one and only episode. He directed TV shows like Here's Lucy, Sanford and Son. He directed 57 episodes of Good Times, 47 episodes of One Day at a Time, 
and 22 episodes of Different Strokes. So those are all like comedy classics. Yeah, that's all half hour sitcoms. I mean, it's a totally different. And I think most of those are live audiences. That's yeah, a totally oh. different style of directing Absolutely. than directing an hour drama. And I think that considering that this is Kenwood's only episode of the original series, you know, he did a solid job. So check this out. So the episode was written by Jeremy Tarcher and Shari Lewis. Does the name Shari Lewis sound familiar to you, Steve? Is that, um, what's her name? The, with the puppet? <laughs> with Lamb Chop? No. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It is? Yes. Wow. Yes. Can't just imagine season one and season two of Star Trek, where you have writers like, like Richard Matheson, Theodore Sturgeon, Gene Kuhn, Dorothy Fontana, Gene Roddenberry. And now you're up to the third season where you have Shari Lambchop Lewis co-writing a Star Trek episode with her husband. Uh, Jeremy Tarcher was her husband. And Shari wrote this episode because she wanted to play the part of Mira Romaine. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine the scene where Mira Romaine is possessed at the end of the episode and she's talking, you know, with the devil voice? Because uh, this is the Exorcist episode of Star Trek. Can you imagine Shari Lewis in this role? <laughs> I mean, it's so bizarre, the whole thing. Um, no, I mean, no, uh, here's the thing. I have very little, ma- I know I watched Sherry Lewis. I'm sure I know she was in like the Hollywood squares and I saw her probably in an episode of the love boat or whatever. Yeah. So I know I saw her, but I have no idea if she can act. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I don't know. Maybe she'd be great. I have no idea. Well, well fortunately the producers of uh, star Trek thought otherwise and decided to cast uh, 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 Jan Shutton as uh, as Lieutenant Mira Romaine, but Tarcher and Lewis wrote their story outline on August 22nd, 1968 and at that time, the episode was called Century 7. And Century 7 referred to the planet that served as a galactic warning system. That was, of course, later changed to the research library Memory Alpha, which is now a top Wikipedia-style Star Trek reference that I have yeah. used many, many times Me prepping too. for yeah. Enterprise incidents. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? It is invaluable. So when Tartar and Lewis revised their outline on September 6th, that's when they changed it to the lights of Zatar. They proceeded to a second draft teleplay by mid-October of 68. Arthur Singer, the story editor for Star Trek in its third season, did his final draft teleplay on October 28th. And then producer Fred Freiberger did his page revisions between October 30th through November 8th. Um, Would you like to know some of the stuff going on in the world? Let's hear it. Well, as you said, it was November 1st through November 11th of 1968. And where we left off last week, we were heading right into the 1968 presidential election. And one of the things we were talking about was the war in Vietnam and how we thought the war in Vietnam was going to affect that election. And two things happened right before the election. One is that LBJ halted all the bombing in North Vietnam. Now, did he do that because he thought that would help Hubert Humphrey? I don't know. And on the second, the South Vietnamese president officially said they weren't going to participate in the peace talks, which we know that Nixon had made a call to try to prevent him from going to the peace talks Mm -hmm. because he thought that would help his campaign. Right. Did either of these things were either of them done intentionally to change what was going to happen on the election day on the fifth? I don't know. Right. right, Needless to say, though, it went Nixon's way. 
<laughs> I think <laughs> yes, most people did. listening probably know that, that <laughs> uh, he on the election was on the fifth on the morning of the sixth at 11 a.m. Hubert Humphrey conceded. Uh, one other thing that happened in that election was that Shirley Chisholm of Brooklyn became the first African-American woman elected to Congress on November 6th. And I don't think that this is coincidental that this started the day after the election. The longest student strike in American history began in San Francisco State. It was a combination mostly of the Black Student Union who wanted more uh, race-based education to happen at the university, but also it dealt with anti-Vietnam protests and uh, other kinds of protests all linked together. This protest went on from November 6, 1968 until March 20th, 1969. Damn. That's what I said. The longest protest in U.S. history and did change some of the ways that representation within the university system Mm -hmm. um and then we have a beatles one which is you know your weekly beatles quiz scott this is something that happened on november 8th 1968 that i think yoko ono would have been very happy about oh uh wait a minute so this is after the the what they were busted for drug possession it is not related to that Okay, it's not related to that. Maybe Paul was busted for something. <laughs> John Lennon's divorce became official. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, would you like to jump into the show? Let's jump into the lights of Zatar, my friend. There are occasionally things where I think this is an amazingly interesting idea that they just throw into the episode and do nothing with. And that idea is what you already mentioned is memory alpha. I think... Wow, what the whole storage place for all the knowledge of the Federation and the world's greatest library. And it's really just a throwaway in the episode. It's barely, barely greatest. Yeah, library. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a really cool thing, but we really, but that is where we're headed. And we also hear that we've got a specialist, Mira Romaine, on board to transfer some new equipment or something to Memory Alpha. Lieutenant Mira Romaine is played by Jan Shutton. And she was on TV shows like Ben Casey, Room 222, Night Gallery, Quincy M.E. So when Scotty at this moment, you know, when we go to the uh, auxiliary control and engineering and you see Scotty tell Mira, you're the sanest, the smartest, the nicest woman that has ever come aboard this ship. Anything else? Anything else, sir. I'll keep to myself for the moment. That scene was originally supposed to be in act two, but it was lifted, put into the teaser to establish that Scotty is really head over heels in love with her. Now, originally Mira Romaine was Scotty's engineering assistant. So what happens if the chief engineer starts making the moves on his engineering assistant? Well, you have the potential for a sexual harassment claim on Starfleet Command. So that's why she was changed to a science specialist temporarily assigned to the Enterprise. But cut from this moment, Steve, is a line that reveals so much more about Scotty uh, when he tells Mirror, and this was filmed but not used in the final episode. Scotty says, the Enterprise has been my life. I love this ship, and I love every day I've been aboard. But until you came aboard, I didn't know how lonely it is to be free in the galaxy. Wow. Okay, several questions about this. The first is, 
You say that the scene was moved. Was it moved after being shot or was it moved during the script process? It was moved after it was shot. So this was shot to be an act two. This was shot to be an act two. And they and took you know- part of that scene in act two, moved it to the teaser and took the other part of that moment and got rid of it completely. And do you know why they cut that line? For time. Ah, uh, there's yeah. – I've, re- I've real problems hearing that because I think there are a whole bunch of scenes that are seem so obviously padded. That's like a good line. A hundred percent. And this is the thing. So what we hear as we're watching him with uh, Mira Romaine is some voiceover from Kirk. When a man of Scotty's years falls in love, the loneliness of his life is suddenly revealed to him. His whole heart once throbbed only to the ship's engines. He could talk only to the ship. Now he can see nothing but the woman. I mean, can you imagine that line in that moment there? I mean, yeah, sure, we hear Kirk's Kirk's captain's log, you know, talking about Scotty, but it would have been so much more effective. And I agree with you because I even wrote in my notes uh, when, you know, when we get to that part in, I think it's act three, when we're in the briefing room, that scene just slows the episode down. and feels very padded. Super slow. It's really yep. padded. Well, and this is the thing. I think as a piece of writing, just as text, that Kirk line is well-written. I think that is a well-written line, but it also falls exactly into what I've described many times as tell, don't show instead of show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. Kirk is explaining this thing to us rather than have us see it. And I know it's funny. I I realized something that's been going on, particularly in these last episodes has been less good. What I frequently am doing (laughs) is what I'm doing with a student and their script when I'm trying to help them rewrite the script. And it's true of both this and in Who Mourns for Adonais, which you mentioned earlier, which is, do I think James Dewan does a great job? Absolutely. But in both cases, we are told that he's attracted to someone rather than seeing a relationship. Like, it would have been so cool if this new person came on and did something to catch Scotty off his guard, made him laugh, was perceptive, was interested in him. Like, if we saw a relationship rather than just being told that Scotty has fallen in love with this person. You know? well, let, me, let me ask you a question about that, because like you have an episode like switching to Kirk to like, let's say, sitting on the edge of forever, right, where we're not even introduced to the character of Edith Keeler until halfway through act two. Yeah. And yet from the from the second part, from the second half of act two to the end, you are completely convinced that Kirk is madly head over heels in love with Edith Keeler and you really buy into it. A, because the writing is great, but also because the chemistry between Joan Collins and Shatner is fantastic. How do you feel about the performance of Mira Romaine, or or as as Jan Shouldn as Mira? And the reason I ask is because let's just say we had a situation where it was was show, don't tell. Do you think that her performance would have been strong enough to convince you that Scotty would absolutely be in love with her? Uh, Probably. Probably. I, because the thing is, I mean, it's it's very hard for me to say because I don't have that. But <laughs> like if you had had like, for instance, an example would be, well, let me say with with both Miramani and with Edith Keeler, we have yep. time where we see the development of the relationship. It's not just chemistry. It's that Edith Keeler is, a, is an impressive person and says impressive things and is interesting. And we see their relationship develop. The, with Miramani, it's the same thing. We see a relationship that develops from nothing to something. Yep. Is that, and the thing that like occurs to me is that 
in Next Generation, there's the Geordi thing where he has the hologram of whatever her name is, who's the engineer who built the Enterprise. Yep. And you see, even though it's messed up because he's fallen in love with a fictitious hologram, which comes back <laughs> later on in the series, but you see that they share this interest, which is their love of the Enterprise, and that they're connecting, and that's how you see the attraction forming, is that I actually think it was a mistake to have her not be an engineer, despite the, I mean, it's sexual harassment in 1968, I'm not sure that we were thinking, but maybe that was their reason. But like, would have <laughs> been cool if she said, if suddenly she reads all the same technical manuals that Scotty does. And she can talk about the enterprise with the same passion that he has. And right. he suddenly looks up and sees this person and goes, wow, this person is really cool. So if you had given her those things to play, I think she, it would have been, it would, it would have worked. You know? That would have been one Steve Morris rewrite away from being a much better example of exactly what you're talking about. So where's the Steve Morris rewrite when you need it? But I will say that, that the thing about Kirk's voiceover at this moment is, you know, he is he has seen Scotty in love with a woman who saw right through him and saw right through to Apollo. And mm. that woman broke his heart. And he almost died a couple of times in that episode because he was defending her or he thought he was defending her. And she was actually like, I'm good. I'm fine. You don't have to step in. But for Kirk to see uh, Scotty fall in love with a woman who is actually returning the affection, the, the 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 delivery of this voiceover makes me feel like Kirk is being like, "Wow, Scotty's really been through the ringer." And then he had the situation in Wolf in the Fold, uh, you know, with the bump on the head and everything, right. you know. And now he's like, he's all for it. And even when he like calls out his name as a Mr. Scott, and he doesn't pay attention, he doesn't. He goes, "Mr. Scott," you know. It's nice. It's a nice little moment. Well, but here's again, this is what I say. If the, if this were a show that dealt with continuity, which obviously it's not, but if it was, and if you had a character that had been introduced who was totally in love with this woman, risked his life, almost died, and she really wasn't all that into him and was really <laughs> into this god. And he was also this guy who had had a bump on the head, which they were which was caused by a woman, and then he went to this planet and every woman he's around gets murdered. How do you think that character would be feeling about love? Well, uh, maybe uh, he'd be emotionally unavailable. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. if you had started the episode with this woman coming along and he's emotionally unavailable and a little bit fragile and doesn't want to become, then that's a dynamic sure. situation where you could see their relationship progress over time in a way that would have been super interesting. You know, That's a really good point. Absolutely. Um, anyway, and then you have this line after Kirk's voiceover. I didn't think Mr. Scott would go for the brainy type. I don't think he's even noticed she has a brain. <laughs> I hate that line. And yeah. I wish it had been reversed. I yep. wish it had been. I didn't think he'd go for the beautiful type. And going, no, I think she, he only notices her brain. Wouldn't that have been a cool thing? That would have been a much better, better delivery for sure. Um, but... We're on the bridge and we're giving some instructions about what's going to happen when we go to memory alpha and we hear Spock say, May I offer my congratulations on what will be your first assignment for the Federation? Yes, good luck, Lieutenant. Thank you. Because apparently she's, you know, new on the ship. And then suddenly we hear a high intensity reading. Uh, there is this crazy storm coming towards the Enterprise. A very, very unusual looking storm that looks you know, with these blinking lights at the center of it. Uh, it's certainly nothing like 
uh, unlike anything we've seen before on Star Trek. Not even when you go back to the immunity syndrome, when you had a giant amoeba in outer space. But I don't know. I've seen a bunch of blinky light things like the companion and the obsession creature. And okay, sure, sure. Oh, yeah, that's right. The obsession creature had all the blinky lights in the middle, too. Um, but this thing's big, this thing is much, much bigger. But that the the visual effects uh, were done by Vanderveer photo effects. Yeah, I I thought they did a really good job. And, and you know, the one thing about season three is even though they were trying to cut costs in every way they could, and it showed. You know, when you have an episode like the Tholian Web, which was which actually did win an Emmy, I double checked. And the reason why it was never actually noted that it didn't that it won an Emmy was because that portion of the ceremony was not filmed. Mm. So that's why a lot of records are wrong. Uh, Star Trek actually did win one Emmy for for the Tholian Web. Um, oh. But then you have like the this episode where the visual effects are are very very strong not bad for an episode that cost uh about $165,000. Yeah. Um and they say that this thing is approaching at warp 2.6. Check that. No natural phenomena can move faster than the speed of light. And I'm like, well, except for that creature in obsession which clearly could move faster than the speed of light. But okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. During this whole approach to the lights, the music that you're hearing is when the Enterprise is approaching the galactic barrier at the end of, uh, or at that first act of where no man has gone before. Uh, I, I think that that music actually works really, really good in this episode. And this thing hits them, and suddenly Kirk can't talk. He touches his throat. There's a weird look from Mira, and the camera pushes in on her, right to her eyeball, and we see the little blinking lights in the eyeball, and that is the end of the teaser. I think this is a really strong teaser. What do you think? Uh, sure. I think it's good. I don't think it's great. I think it's good. Um, I Certainly, the, the moment of Kirk not being able to talk is a really interesting, like, what the heck is going on. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good moment when, when he's stands at attention, you know, belting out an order, but he can't even hear himself. And he, like, grabs his throat. He's, like, in shock. Like, what, what happened to my voice? I yeah. think it's a really good moment. We're back in Act 1. Uh, Kirk still can't talk. The music is building, and then this thing sort of disappears. Mr. Sulu, get us a double out of there. And at that moment, Mira faints, and Kirk goes over to her. She opens her mouth in this weird kind of, you know, fish mouth sort of way, and then these weird noises come out of Mira. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. Watching this episode again, did you think about The Exorcist at all? No, I didn't. No? Oh, my gosh. I totally thought of The Exorcist. She's possessed. Yeah. I guess it's true. No, I, I didn't think about it. What's she doing, Doctor? Oh, well, I think she's coming around now. Easy now. Easy. You had quite a fall. So I don't love the way it's written, but I agree with you. James Doohan is so cute and sweet. He's so, all of yeah. Stuff with Rome, yeah. Rome. He's really shows a, you know... Yeah, a different side, even from the, the the side that we saw in Who Mourns for Adonais. You know, when you see him in episodes like, you know, Friday's Child and, and you know, Metamorphosis and, and The Taste of Armageddon. And and in this episode, it just, Jimmy, such a great actor. And I just never felt like he got the credit that he should have gotten for what he yeah. brought to this role and what he brought to Star Trek. And they're going to head off to sick bay. Captain, would it be all right if I went along to sick no, bay? No, Mr. Scott, just take your post for the moment. I, uh, I wouldn't have done this exact thing with Scotty. I think it's the wrong choice because he's just like a lovesick puppy, 
And right. it's like he's forgotten all about his sense of duty and responsibility mm-hmm. or the and it, and it's just like what they're saying both with Lieutenant Paloma and here is that when Scotty's into a woman, he just forgets about everything else. He becomes kind of dumb. And I'm like, that's not who I see this guy as. I, I agree with you. I agree. Even I though Dewan like, does a great job. You know? it, it, yeah, I Joe Dewan does a great job, but I don't like the way this moment is written. And and Kirk even tells uh Lieutenant Romaine to go to sick bay, and she's like, No, no, I'm fine. He goes, That's an order. Like like Kirk is like puts his foot down, you know, all the you know, the nice chatter we we saw at the beginning of the teaser between Scotty and Kirk and Kirk and Romain. You know, now he's just like, you know, no, that's an order. I, I there, And this is where I just go. There are other ways to do this kind of thing is that she could be heading to sick bay and he could be really worried and watch her go. And Kirk says something and he's so concerned about her that he doesn't hear what Kirk says. Kirk repeats. Right. And then Scotty goes, yes, sir, of course. And, you know, and has to cover up the fact that, he that was he's distracted. distracted. Yeah, that's a that's point. a more dramatic way to do the same to get the same beat out. You know, I agree with you. Um, so uh, and then what we hear as we're as they're gone is we kind of talk about what happened. Memory Alpha was hailing. I wanted to respond, but I couldn't make my hand move. It was not hands that were paralyzed. It was eyes. I could not force my eyes to look down and set a new course. No, no, it was speech that was affected. I couldn't utter a sound. So what's interesting about this moment is uh, it reminded me of Spectre of the Gun. When but the Melkotian buoy at the beginning of the episode mm. says, uh, you know, you will uh, leave the space of the Melkotians and they all heard it in their native languages. And right. now you're having uh, a light storm, so to speak, affect the crew in different ways. I mean, it's not the same, but, you know, it just kind of reminded me of that. I totally see that. I think this is another case. You know, last week we obviously ripped the plot to pieces when we were talking about Mark of Gideon and how little yes. sense that makes. And again, I, yeah, again, I think this is definitely better, but I also think, wait, what are these creatures doing and why are they doing it? And how does it, it just doesn't, it really doesn't all make sense, Yeah, but it, but the other stuff is better and, and it's more dramatic. Yes, absolutely. And there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of urgency, which we missed from Gideon. For sure. We're in sick bay. I actually don't think the music from the other shows is working all the time as well. Sometimes it feels really just kind of thrown on. Yeah, no, you're right. Lieutenant, there are 430 people aboard this ship. You're the only one that passed out, and I want to know why. I want to know why, too. You're the doctor. You tell me. This whole thing is a new experience for me. Isn't this kind of insubordination a little bit? You know, who is she to talk to Dr. McCoy like this? Well, let me ask you this question, because is the way she's behaving because of the aliens that are already affecting her brain or is this the normal Lieutenant Romaine and this is how she would have behaved anyway? Oh, wow. You know, wow. Steve, leave it to you to come up with a question and make me think about something in a way that I have never thought about it before after watching the show for 50 years. I would say that it was the effect of the, the lights because otherwise how would she have gotten this far in Starfleet if she was so disrespectful for disrespectful to uh, superiors? Yeah, I, I think the implication is it has something to do with what's happening in her brain. Because what's happening in her brain, spoiler alert, is that these aliens are trying to take her over on some level and that her brainwave patterns are changing over time to become more like theirs, right? Yeah, well, yeah right. And this is where, again, I go back to the relationship with Scotty, is that if we had seen her personality before this happened, we would have something to contrast this behavior with. 
I also think the choice that they make with Scotty is him to be the everything's okay guy. Everything's okay. No, it's just it's just your first time. It's, it's just space. Yeah. It's just it rather than be the you know McCoy going, "Hey, she's acting, she's not being helpful." What if Scotty was going, "She's not acting like herself. Something's wrong." And him being more anxious, it would be more dramatic. You know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. All of you are accustomed to new experiences. It's part of your work. I'm not. She might have something there, Dr. McCoy. This is her first deep space trip, and you know how that affects people. Do we know how that affects people? No, we don't. (laughs) I mean, because... Has there ever been anything that says that weird stuff happens to people their first time in space? We've never seen anyone, on certainly on the Enterprise, and you got to imagine that they've had, you know, people join the crew into the five-year mission because, you know, people have died on some of these missions. You got to keep the, the head count up to 428 people. So no, you never hear anything like that. Yeah, I think this is just a weird thing that they have Scotty saying that I don't really buy. Lieutenant, you're being completely uncooperative. Are you putting that into my record? It's not true. And McCoy, again, I don't think this is in character either, says, Perhaps you can explain to her that any career she hopes for in Starfleet requires discipline and cooperation. This is a patient who just passed out. Like, McCoy should be going, is she acting in character? Does this, you know, what's going on that she's being so angry, you know? Right, right. Instead of bringing down the hammer like he does. And again, Scotty just continues to, like, make excuses for her. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that's what the lieutenant wants. She just didn't understand. Did you know, lass? Oh, yeah, yeah. He lays it on a little thick. (laughs) And I do like Chapel with the accent saying, Oh, this bedside manner like that, Scotty. You're in the wrong business. Uh, which is cute. Back up on the bridge, that storm is heading towards Memory Alpha. On its present course, it will hit the Memory Alpha planetoid as it did us. Lieutenant, try and warn Memory Alpha of the proximity of that phenomenon. Give me an ETA for its possible impact. I cannot, sir. It has the ability to change speed. The energy for some of this scene seems so low, it almost feels like you filmed the rehearsal. I agree. You're right. I completely agree. I think just in a lot of ways, and I'll talk more about this at the end of of our deep dive conversation, you know, the morale was really, really low. They're like, what's going on? I mean, by this point, it wasn't until midway through filming the lights of Zatar that they even got the pickup for the rest of the season. And then that rest of the season, they were supposed to get eight episodes, but then that got scale back to six so you know right. like they're, they're just getting bad news the ratings are bad the, the quality of the scripts is bad i mean it's just tragic it's when crazy. you look at the peak of this episode of the series you know when you go back to the end of season one beginning of season two all these like landmark episodes that we were doing steve week after week on enterprise incidents and we was like wow now we get to do mirror mirror oh now we get to do the doomsday machine you know it's like all these great episodes and now it's like ah uh, you know oh we got to do the mark of gideon uh uh it's just a, it's a shame it's really a shame you know it's weird and and i haven't really thought about it is like i don't know how many shows there are that were failures tv shows that ended up being huge huge hit you know like love beloved shows because mostly the trajectory particularly as you and i as grown-ups is that the budgets of shows get bigger and bigger and bigger so Mm -hmm. even if the show is weaker in the last few seasons the budgets are huge you know like game of thrones season eight is definitely weaker than the other seasons of the show but not because of scale 
Uh-huh. Whereas with Star Trek, it's like we have no money. We're not paying any attention. That's not what's going on in the final seasons of Seinfeld or Friends or Cheers or Game of Thrones or The West Wing or, you know, name any or The Sopranos or name any great TV show. That's not what's going on. But it is. What's and going and on even, Star Trek. even when you look at the beginning of season three, you know, when we were doing like, you know, Spectre of the Gun and the Patterson Syndrome and the Enterprise incident, like we're like, oh, the <laughs> season three is actually pretty good. It wasn't until we got to Plato's stepchildren that things, you know, we went from having really good episodes and, you know, the Spock's brain and the children shall eat to like sort of one not good episode after another. And then you get to something decent, like let that be your last battlefield. Uh, You know, the next really good episode that I'm really looking forward to is our yesterday's but I don't want to look forward to it too much because that means we just have one more episode to go after that. And then we are done with covering yeah. the original series. And like you said, that's it. You know, it actually is a short show, 80 episodes. Yeah. If you include the cage yeah. and they're trying to warm them, can't warm them. There's a little consequence, captain memory. Alpha has no protective shields. No shields. Yeah. Because they're just supposed to be open for everyone in, in the galaxy. I uh, like Kirk's response. He's like, wonderful. <laughs> I mean, it just seems honestly dumb. <laughs> I think the way they've set up Memory Alpha doesn't seem like a really good plan here. Yeah, they didn't think that through. I mean, it's the, you know, you're inviting everyone. That's great. You know, you want to show like open arms. You know, but you gotta defend yourself. I mean, that's that's ill advised. I mean, I'm pretty sure every uh, library in Los Angeles has a lock on the door. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, and plus there's like Klingons flying around and all sorts of other people. It, it, and apparently there's no backup. That's <laughs> just, this is it. Yeah, there's no uh, backup. We, file, right. Yeah. It's hitting the planetoid. Why are the lights going to memory alpha in the first place? I don't know. I don't like, get like it. Why, I, that's what I mean. What, what made memory alpha so crucial that the lights had to go there other than to just sort of establish that, you know, people are going to die or, 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 you know, aliens are going to die, but you're right. Memory alpha is a great idea, but it's like a MacGuffin. It serves no purpose whatsoever to the plot of the story. Well, except that MacGuffins serve purpose to the story. (laughs) Like a MacGuffin is a thing like everybody is, it's necessary to have some secret whispered to, you know, Cary Grant in uh, North by Northwest. So everyone tries to, yeah, so everyone tries to kill him. Mm-hmm. That's why it, it's not that what was what is whispered to him matters. It doesn't. It's that everyone's going to try. Literally, we could not go to Memory Alpha, and then nothing would have changed in this episode. That's a good point. Particularly because the goal of the lights is to find a human host, which they already found in Mira Romaine. So why right, so go to why Memory Alpha? Why are they alpha? going to Memory Alpha? Right, right. Well, th- this is what I mean. It's like in terms of the urgency, it's way better than what we've had the last couple of weeks. In sure. terms of challenging things, it's better. In terms of some of the dialogue, it's better. In terms of some of the character development, it's better. In terms of the plot, it's it again doesn't bear a lot of scrutiny. Yeah, I agree. Kirk Engineering, Mr. Scott, report. Kirk Engineering, Mr. Scott. Where the devil is he? Uh, and Kirk wants to take a landing party down, and then we hear from Scotty. Where have you been? Where are you? In the sick bay. Are you sick? Oh, no. I was just checking on the lass. I do not buy that Scotty abandons his post. I, I agree with you. It's it's contrived. And yeah. Kirk is irritated by this point. He says, Dr. McCoy there? Well, I find him in engineering. <laughs> 
Well, and, and like, imagine if she, he, they went back to engineering and she's working there. And when memory alpha gets attacked, she collapses and Scotty's rushing to help her. And Kirk is going, Mr. Scott, Mr. Scott. And he's torn between helping her and answering his duty. Well, that's a dramatic moment as opposed to, I just was checking out the last. She's fine. Yeah. yeah. But McCoy agrees that she's doing really well and they head off to go beam down. And, but we don't go with them. We stay with Lieutenant Romaine. And once again, the camera pushes into her eye. Again, we see the little sparklies there. And then that image is replaced with the image of a dead alien sitting somewhere. Dead tower, right? Yep. Yeah. We head to the transporter room. Uh, we beam down to memory alpha. Damage reports, Mark. Disaster for the galaxy, Captain. Central brain is damaged. Memory core is burned out. The loss to the galaxy may be irretrievable. <laughs> Again, I wrote down here, backups? Yeah, there's no... You didn't back it up on a, on a hard Nothing, drive? <laughs> like a floppy or something? You know? <laughs> yeah, they, they, don't, they don't even have floppies in the 23rd century? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I had little Actually, stickers... You can back that, it up on your iPhone? <laughs> yeah, come on. I have little stickers that said, you know, in order to move forward, back up. <laughs> you know, backing oh, up is right, really important. Yeah. And we see dead bodies. And as the music builds, one of the dead bodies is in the exact position that the alien was when we saw it in Mira Romaine's eyes, mm-hmm. which I found pretty creepy. We're back in Act 2, still on Memory Alpha, and we find a woman who is still barely alive. And this is, you know, it's funny. In Mark of Gideon, there was something that creeped me out. This woman kind of creeped me out as a kid yeah. she's oh, yeah. like struggling for breath and again those same weird noises come out of her mouth and now that's added with weird colors on her face spock you've ever seen anything like that before negative and then she dies we hear that there was severe brain hemorrhaging due to the distortion of all neurosystems and when then we hear that everyone else they had a different area of the brain destroyed which relates to what happened on the bridge where each one of them had a different area of the brain affected, which I think is interesting, but doesn't end up going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And because the noises she made sounded like the noises Lieutenant Romaine made, they have her beam down. And as they go to look at the technician, she sees the dead Telluride in exactly the position she had in her vision. Yeah. So Uh, she had this, this premonition and now she's seeing, seeing that premonition in, in real time. Question. Was it a premonition? Uh, Well, let me me tell you why I'm asking. Okay. Okay. She has that image when the aliens are attacking memory alpha. It's at the, they've already been to memory alpha. They talk about this later, like it's a premonition, but is it that she just saw what they actually saw? Not something from the future. Well, that, okay. You're right. A premonition is something from the future. You're right. That's not what this is because we saw the lights penetrate her or, or at least affect her in the teaser. So as we'll find out in act, uh, I think it's three, that there is already a link between Mira and the lights, like they're connected. Right. So she is seeing what they saw. But later on in the episode, they took, yes, that's what I think too. I totally agree. And later on in the episode, they talk about it like she's seeing the future, which the, I saw Scotty dying is a pre- premonition. Again, this is where it doesn't all fit together. Yeah. Like what right. they're saying these aliens are doing. Mm-hmm. And she now also says, we must get back to the ship. Tell me why. That storm, it's returning. How do you know? I know. You'll be killed if we stay. And then we hear from the bridge of the Enterprise, yeah, the storm is returning, so they do be there. <laughs> and everyone appears except Mira Romaine. Right. Again, I don't know why that 
the the aliens affected the transporter like what happened that she got stuck I don't, I, I don't know it's not really followed through i guess it's just you just got to go with it but it was at this point okay so yeah i mean i've seen these episodes millions of times but when i was re-watching it i noticed something i never noticed before so the red shirts of star trek whether they're security or engineering the insignia that they wear has a little squiggly thing in it, like a like a like a number nine, almost like. And then in Spock and McCoy sciences, they have the the sort of circle that looks like a little globe. And then you know Kirk and Chekhov and Sulu, they have the star, the actual you know Delta Shield that's right. been used on every other series since. Well, in this episode, I'm noticing Scotty is wearing obviously a red shirt, but his insignia has the globe symbol. That is used for the sciences for Spock and McCoy. So somewhere along the way, their uh, script coordinator didn't exactly notice, oh, he's wearing the right shirt, but the insignia is wrong. And I'm wondering Hmm. how many other people noticed this, whether it was over the years or recently or just now noticing this now. But Steve, it is that attention to detail when I I rewatch these episodes for enterprise incidents that I learn new things, even down to the detail of Scotty's insignia. <laughs> I certainly didn't notice. And I am very impressed that you did. Um, <laughs> uh, but we head out of the transporter room. We're up on the bridge. Captain, I'm having difficulty with the ship's sensors. They seem to be under selective attack by the phenomenon as the unfortunate occupants of memory alpha were. So they're trying to make a connection between different parts of the brain being attacked by the lights of the humans on the enterprise and on memory alpha and different parts of the sensors under attack from the lights. I don't think that connection entirely works, but we're back with Scotty and Mira. She's very upset. What's frightening me ever since that, that storm hit, I've, I've had such strange thoughts, such feelings of, of terror. Space. That's all it is. Then I don't have to report it. If you want to spend the rest of the trip in sick bay, but what good would that do? Dr. McCoy can no more cure it than he can a cold. This part of of the episode where you have the interplay between Scotty and Lieutenant Remain, and then on the bridge, you have Kirk in command of the Enterprise. And, and the way that Kirk is really sort of being really, really cool and strategic about the lights that are matching speed, matching the course of the Enterprise – and going back to back to the stuff with Remain and then back up to the bridge, I felt like the pacing of the episode was really, really good at this mo- at this moment. Uh, the suspense was definitely there, definitely much better than the last two episodes. And as they're trying to uh, evade this storm, Spock is continuing to run in his analysis and finally comes to Kirk with his answer. Your analysis, Bob. What is it? Not what is it, Captain. What are they? Da, da, da. <laughs> uh, and Kirk open, says, well, maybe we could talk to it. And we open up a hailing frequency. He does his intro, no response. And then we hear... They're passing our starboard side and maneuvering in front of us. Switching to forward scanner. And that is the end of Act 2. And so you see the lights moving in front of the Enterprise. I, I, I think it's a good end to act two it's pretty no 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 
No, it's not. It's terrible. No, I disagree Come, strongly. Probably. It's boring. It's so, I will tell you where the act break should be. This is a terrible place for an act. There's not, all it did, like, all it did was move from the side to the front of the ship. That's not a very, and it's not attacking. There's no threat. It's just kind of, and we've already shown that it can go really fast and outrun us. So why isn't it attacking? Like, no, I, okay. I yeah. I'll give you that. Normally, normally, Scott, I wouldn't disagree so strongly, but this one, I, I literally wrote down that is a terrible act break. Well, where um, would you, where would you have the act break? Funny you should answer because I'm going to get to that in a moment. Okay. So we're back in act three. Perhaps it understands another kind of blank. Condition red alert. Prepare for phaser firing. And Mira is having like a reaction and asks Scotty to hold her. Again, we zoom into the eye. Hold me. It's happening again. And the first time we're going to shoot like, you know, across its bow, we're going to lock in but not hit it. They fire. No response. Still coming in. Prepare to lock phasers into the heart of the community. Okay. This moment, you see Spock raise his eyebrow. Like yes. he, is giving, he is giving a disappointed look to Kirk for yeah. taking action that will kill it and he's like you know with you know spock he doesn't want to he doesn't want to kill anybody he wants to preserve the life i agree but then they don't do anything with it that's not in the show like spock never says anything that never becomes a part but i totally noticed that same look you did yeah uh, we lock in phasers we open fire and mirror remain collapses he oh. goes down and scotty calls uh the bridge and says Captain, the phaser shots they're killing mirror that's the act break. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Way more dramatic. Way more dramatic. Yeah. yeah. That would have been a great act. You're right. Not gonna not gonna disagree. <laughs> and we don't fire anymore. Do you think that shooting at the lights would have killed the creatures, this community? Could we have defeated them that way if we didn't care about Lieutenant Mermaid? Well, the phasers went right through it. Regardless. Well, that's the question. I think that shooting the phasers through the heart of the lights hurt Romaine because she's linked to this this thing, but I don't think it had an actual effect on the lights themselves. The only reason the lights were might have been affected was because they're like they found their their new host and they don't want that host to die. So I think that's you're right, and I think that's what's in the show. I think it'd have been way more dramatic if it was working. Like, okay, we could stop these creatures, but the only way to do it is to kill Lieutenant Romaine. That's a classic Star Trek conundrum. Oh, sure, sure. But instead, it's like, well, it hurts Lieutenant Romaine, but doesn't really seem to hurt the creature. Well, then it's okay. Then obviously there's no reason to keep firing. Mm -hmm. If it would kill her, that's like City on the Edge of Forever. Absolutely. Sure. Captain, there is only one possible defense. If we can find an environment which is deadly to the alien form. And yet isolate the girl from its deadly effects. So that's going to be what our plan is. Go to the briefing room and McCoy says, Go easy on her, Jim. She's in a pretty bad state. I'll try. I agree with you. This scene is really slow. It slows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, up to this yeah. point, I went, I was rewatching the lights of Zatar going, oh, this episode is a lot better than I remembered. And then I got to this part and I went, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, this 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 is the part that really does slow down the episode, unfortunately. Part of it is that we have a lot of introductory moments where we talk about first we talk about the investigative procedure. I don't really know why we have to talk about that. Then we ask McCoy and Spock if they're ready to present their information rather than just saying present your information. Then we have stuff where McCoy goes over 
where her parents came from and where she was born and other background information. Not important. Then we call up to Sulu to see if the thing's still there. And he goes, yeah, still there. It's the same. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, well, if it was just the same, there was really no reason to do this, which is why I go back to that line. That was a really good line that you said they cut because they didn't have time for it. It's just like, no, I could, I could easily have cut two minutes easily out of this scene. Not for sure. And you wouldn't have noticed. And then we go to the test that they gave on her. Also, by the way, I don't even think Lieutenant Romaine has to be in the scene. This is the kind of scene that could have been in the lab where they were discussing her results. Well, I, I think it's good that she's there, you know, that she can re- the way because you want to see her reaction to the revelation that they're connected. I totally agree. But the way it's written, they're not getting enough out of that, I guess, is how I would put it. Oh, I see. I see. Well, the one thing they hear that's weird is, is we're talking about, you know, does she have any telepathic ability? And he, McCoy says no. However, have her an extremely flexible and pliant response to new learning situations is highly marked. Which I guess is their way of saying that this is why the aliens are taking over her because she's so pliant. Oh, I never thought about that. But yeah, sure. That makes sense. I will say this about Jan Shutton's acting. Her emotion or lack of emotion fits the character perfectly when she is possessed by the lights. Like she just come all the emotion completely withdraws from her face when she's feeling the effects of the possession, especially in the, in the last act, when she's just like staring up towards the, 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 the bulkhead. Um, so I think our performance is actually quite effective. I do too, but this is also, I totally agree. But this is also why it would have been nice to see what she was like before the aliens showed up, which we don't really see. Right. If she had been vital and interesting and engaged with Scotty, and that's why Scotty was attracted to her, and then if she became irritable and then withdrawn, then you would see more would... range. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Yeah. And then what we say is that, hey, her fingerprints haven't changed. This other stuff hasn't changed, but her brainwave pattern has changed. They throw the brainwave up on the monitor, and Spock has a reaction. And I do like this little bit. And you are sure that this is the correct slide? Yes, Mr. Spock. That is tape deck D, brain circuitry pattern of Lieutenant Mirror Romaine. Gentlemen, it also happens to be tape H, the impulse tracking obtained from the alien life units. And they superimpose those two slides. And yes, it is exactly the same. And we hear a music sting and Spock says, There is an identity of minds taking place between the alien beings and the mind of Lieutenant Romaine. Their thoughts are becoming hers. That's interesting. That is very interesting. And super dramatic. Well, and this is why this is a better episode than the last two, is that despite the things that I we found fault with, there are dramatic moments in this thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's much, much better than the last two episodes. And then Scotty goes to Mira and says, Mira has tried to tell me all along that she was seeing things in advance. Why didn't you report it? You don't report space sickness. That's all I thought it was. And then we hear that she first saw saw the attack on the ship in advance, which we never heard her say that she saw that. Uh And then the attack on memory alpha. What else? I thought for a moment there was something else, but I guess I was wrong. Now, did she say to Scotty, hey, I saw you dying? Scotty knew what she was going to say, but Scotty didn't want to be the one to out her. Right. So she did tell him. Hey, I saw you dying. I, I, that's what I'm thinking. Because, that's what I think too. You know, like why would he sort of like sort of coax her into being like and something else? And oh, I, I guess they're 
there isn't anything else. But he knew that there was. Well, and again, this is what's frustrating to me about what they did with Scotty's character is what they should have done was. Re- so, you know, I said they should have reversed it is that McCoy was less interested in Lieutenant Romaine and Scotty was advocating for. Her. No, something is wrong. You have to examine her. Right. I think this is the similar thing is that it should be that sh- she's told Scotty that she saw him dying. But now she's admitting, yes, I saw the attack in advance. I saw the the attack on memory alpha in advance rather than Scotty doing it. And then she won't say the third one. And then Scotty forces her to Mira. It's Mm -hmm. okay. You have to tell the captain. Right. And she says, I saw Scotty rather than him being the one denying it. You know, it would be much more in character for him. But again, I like the way this happens. I saw Scotty. Where? I don't know. What was he doing? And there's a pause. And then he, she says, he was dying. I think that works great. I think that moment works really well. Scotty, I'd rather die than hurt you. And again, while I'll criticize the writing, Jimmy Doohan's great. He's great. They've called a turn on us three out of four times. Well, that's a better average than anybody deserves. It's our turn now. We'll fight them. So let's not hear anything more about dying. It's great. Yeah, he's yeah. Really he's so he's so good in in the moment and in the episode that it helps the episode overcome some of its flaws when it comes to plotting. The evasive maneuvers aren't working. They're coming in. The shields aren't going to stomp them. And Kirk says, But we have one chance to survive. Don't resist. Let them begin to function through you. If we can control that moment, we have a chance. Will you try? Tell me what to do. And we hear that we're going to prepare something at the medical lab and our guys are heading down the corridor and Hey, there's some extras. Yeah. Yeah. The corridors <laughs> actually look busy. It reminded me of the Corbomite maneuver, you know, yeah. see everybody running around. That was a great moment. And that's a great end to act three. I got to say. Agreed. This is our best act break so far in the show. And we get to the lab. As soon as she has entered the gravity chamber, secure all ports. This is like the chamber from way back in space seat, huh? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. When, uh, you know, Khan put him in, uh, Kirk in there. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see the lights come down into the decompression chamber and enter Romaine. Don't touch me, Scott. Stay away. And then we hear those weird noises coming out of her. We see the weird colored lights. Stay where you are. She could kill us all in this state. Can't they just kill them all anyway? Yeah, they could. Sure. Yeah, but she, I guess they're empowering her by being inside of her that, that she could kill them, not just the lights themselves. She will, unless we are able to complete what the captain has planned. Which has never been said what the captain has planned, but apparently Spock knows what it is. Don't lose yourself to them. Hold on. Didn't he tell her that you should just let them come in and not fight them in the last Yeah, scene? he said to, right at the end of the, the previous act, he said, just let them, let them enter you. Yeah, and now he's saying, don't lose yourself to them. Hold on. She says, and I think she's really good. I think she does a good job with this stuff. Mira Romaine, I will be who I choose to be. You want to know what I wrote down here? What's that? Kirk could have given her some advice. There's nobody who's been taken over, controlled, manipulated, who's had to overcome all sorts of stuff from the spores to the naked time to being split into then captain Kirk. He could have said, this is how you do it. 
you know, I've <laughs> yeah. been there. <laughs> I've been there, done that. And especially, yeah. uh, you know, he's been taken over by an energy force in uh, Return to Tomorrow by Sargon. Yeah, no, he's he's been down this road a lot. <laughs> and then this other voice comes out of her mouth and says, She cannot stop us. You cannot prevent it. And that voice, by the way, is none other than Barbara Babcock. Oh, of course it who is. Who did the voice of Trelane's mother. Uh, Barbara Babcock did the voice of the Tholian, uh, Commander Luskeen. And we saw Barbara Babcock in uh, Plato's Stepchildren and The Taste of Armageddon. So she is... She has been very, very involved through all three seasons of the original series. Did she do a lot? I don't know if you know the answer to this, but did she do a lot of conventions and stuff like that? I never saw her at a convention. Uh, and I went to my chair. A lot of, I know, because she's in a lot of Star Trek. Well, if anybody listening, if any of the Enterprisers listening have a signed photo of Barbara Babcock, please make sure you put it up on our Facebook page. We'd love to see it. We have searched for a millennium for one through whom we can see and speak and hear and live out our lives. Who are you? We are from Zatar. The beings from Zatar, I brought up Sargon, but mm-hmm. also look at the Organians, look yep. at the Thasians. They are life forms that have surpassed the need for physical, physical sustenance and appearance. They've advanced. Uh, you know, all these other races have advanced past where, you know, of course, Trelane's parents, they don't need a physical body. But in this case, the Zatar, Zatarians, as we call them, they want a physical body, but not 10 individual bodies for each each life force. They all 10 of them want to enter remains. So it's like a little backwards and not really. I mean, like if they if they enter Romain, they're not going to be able to go through space. Like, isn't that kind of cool to be able to like go through space and, you know, I I, I think this is it, it's funny because obviously we're circling back to the one of these ideas of being non corporeal and what that means and all that stuff. I, it feel this episode feels like you know we had a bunch of random ideas that we never really developed. Let's just throw them all in here. We got this space <laughs> library. We got these non-corporeal beings that are a group of 10. We've got affecting different parts of the brain at one at a time. We've got Scotty falling in love and all those things are interesting. Yes. They don't all kind of fit. <laughs> By the way, once again, we have another one of those lines. The desires, the hopes, the mind and the will of the last hundred of Zetar. The force of our life could not be wiped out. Is it 100 people or is it 10 people? I thought it was 10. Spock said it was 10. He did, but then they just said it was 100. Oh, there you go. Good catch. Um, (laughs) The body of the one you inhabit has its own life to lead. She will accept ours. So this is the idea. She's going to fight for her identity and they're going to try to overpower her. By the way, there are a bunch of great reaction shots of James Doohan in this scene. I think he does a really good job. Yep. Will she learn the way the people on Memory Alpha learned? We did not wish to kill. You know what I don't understand is this is an episode where it could have gone. Kirk finds a way to negotiate with these people and not kill them. Which is what most Star Trek episodes would be. For sure. Absolutely. But but that is not where we're going to go. Mm Mm-hmm. You're entitled to your own life. 
But not another's. Life was given to me. It is mine. I want to live it out. And she does, again, a good job between being the aliens and then fighting back and then her eyes kind of going blank and being the aliens again. Exactly. I think that she does a good job. And, you know, while Kirk is trying to perform an exorcism. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe he needed some holy water and a cross. And he was But then he... (laughs) But then he would have gotten pea soup vomited on him, and yeah. nobody wants that. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. <laughs> um, no, it would have been pea soup. It would have been plomeek soup. Vulcan plomeek <laughs> soup. <laughs> there you go. Good, good call. Very good call. We must get her into the pressure chamber. Jim, you realize the pressure needed to kill the Zaytars might kill the girl, too. And Kirk starts to go to her, and then Scotty says, Nero will not kill me. And he goes forward picks her up and he puts her into the chamber and then off camera we hear a scream and Scotty flies back see now now when when you hear that scream that didn't remind you of the exorcist at all I wasn't thinking about the exorcist at all in this oh my god I was thinking about it a lot during this last act I I, I get you know what's funny though is in the list of movies for the cinephiles that I have to mention at the end of this episode is the exorcist. And oh, yet I wasn't, know. it's not, but that is not why I put it on the list. And it's funny to, to, we'll get there. But anyway, and we turn the gravity off and she starts floating. And then we hear the Zatarians are growing stronger because the zero gravity is their natural environment. And then we increase pressure to two atmospheres and we're going to increase the pressure one atmosphere per second, which seems like a lot. It seems like and, a lot. And and the, the pressure is going to be dangerous to, remain but it's going to be more dangerous to the lights so i'm right. just trying to you know sort of move past the uh the plausibility that the lights are going to be more affected by the pressure than a physical human body i don't get it i think the idea is that they're used to floating around in space where there's no atmosphere oh so being okay. under atmospheric pressure i think that's their idea and humans can survive under pretty high pressure if you you know do deep scuba dives and stuff that's a lot of atmospheric pressure that they're dealing with, but it's weird. I, yeah. It's a little weird. It, yeah. It's a little weird. Um, so we're t- turning up the pressure, turning up the pressure. Shatner ends up looking pretty crazed at a certain point where he's going pressure, more pressure, pressure. pressure. And I just want to go, go into uh, you know, queen under pressure at a certain point, but uh, the camera pushes in our eyes. It goes blurry. And then the sparkles leave her eyes as the music climaxes done it Jim they're gone and Scotty is celebrating and she turns and smiles and we hear that we're going to slowly lower the pressure over 20 minutes now we have all that time in the world and we'll never see her again <laughs> we will literally that's my note <laughs> oh, do you know the movie uh, uh, Tin Men sure yeah I love that movie it's a great, I think that is a totally underrated movie. And there's Agreed. all these scenes with the guys, you know, it's Barry Levinson film and they're all talking. And there's this one guy who's obsessed with Bonanza and they keep, and they go, and they go, Oh, what day? Oh, it's Bonanza day. Bonanza was on last night. And one of the monologues the guy has about Bonanza is like, you know, these guys, Haas and little Joe, they're all the kiss of death. They live there on the Ponderosa and every week they fall in love with some woman and they always die or they disappear and you never hear from them again. They're the kiss of death. That's totally what I think about here. <laughs> Tin Man is a great movie. Barry Levinson directed. She put up a valiant struggle to retain her identity, and I find that encouraging. Dr. McCoy is correct, Captain. 
and they're agreeing that this is going to help. And Kirk asks, would either of you credit Scotty's steadfast belief in her as a factor? And they agree on that, that that was a good motivator. And we asked, should she go back to work? And they agree on that. Then Kirk calls Scotty and says, she good to go back to work? And he says, yes, absolutely. So they all agree on that. Dr. McCoy, Mr. Spock, and Engineer Scott find themselves in complete agreement. Can I stand the strain? A little chuckle, and that's the end of the episode. I yeah. I think it's a cute little, you it's know, cute. coda. It's cute. I like it. So, as I was talking about before, a couple days before Lights of Zatar finished production, NBC finally ordered eight more episodes with the option to reduce that number from eight to six. So the good news was that at this point, when they were filming the 18th episode of season three, thinking that maybe this is it. And this is what I said in the beginning of the episode when I said, oh, it was the 18th episode produced for season three. Remember that number 18. So right. they're halfway through filming this episode, the 18th episode, and they don't know if there's going to be a 19th. Well, they finally get the order for the rest of the season. So that was the good news. The bad news was that they did indeed, and they meaning NBC, reduce the order from eight to six. What makes that even worse news is that, that if they're reducing the order from eight to six, which would give season three 24 episodes, what kind of optimistic view do you think anybody had that Star Trek would get renewed for season four? Zero. Zero. Yeah. So the morale was very, very low. And Fred Freiberger even said, here we are finishing up the last of our first 18 firmed episodes, and we will get word tomorrow whether NBC will order any more. It's cruel and unusual punishment that's inflicted on a show. Meanwhile, morale is shattered, the quality of the show deteriorates, and the actors start looking around for other jobs. It's bad enough that TV is a pressure cooker, but the death watch is cruel. And it's just such yeah. a shame that Star Trek was being treated this way by Paramount, that Star Trek was being treated this way by NBC. And they, and like, I think I re remarked before when we were talking uh, about Fred Freiberger, uh, I think it was during the Tholian web, uh, when, when Freiberger's uh, confidant, who was writing an autobiography on him or a biography on him that never got released, you know, he said that Paramount hated Star Trek and they just wanted to get rid of it. I mean, that just breaks my heart that that was how Paramount felt about Star Trek. I wonder if there are other reasons. You know, I, I you've read far more than I have, and I've read some of the books about it. I've you know seen the documentaries and stuff. But it, it's funny. There's a there's a book. I think it was um, the guy uh, who was the big guy at NBC during uh, Must See TV era. It's not oh, part uh, of, or maybe it, uh, anyway. He wrote yeah. an autobiography and talks about Brandon Tartikoff. He, I think it, I think maybe it is Brandon Tartikoff. And he talks about Cheers and Cheers was in like, you know, it was like number 85 of all the TV shows. This really wasn't doing well. It's the first two seasons. And he went to who his boss was at the time and said, look, I guess we got to cancel Cheers. I really love it, but I, I can cancel it. And his boss said, do you have something better that you're desperate to put in the schedule? And he goes, no, not really. He's like, then keep Cheers on. Mm, and wow. if that hadn't happened, there's no cheers. And and the thing is, is like there's three networks back in the mid 60s. Star Trek isn't, as we said, its ratings weren't terrible, particularly in the first two seasons. Right. 
And so them going, we got to get rid of Star Trek. We got to get rid of Star Trek. I really wonder, maybe there was personality stuff going on too. There was a big personality problem, Steve. You are correct. That pro- the personality problem was brought on by Roddenberry. Yeah. Roddenberry made enemies because he was so difficult to deal with because and and by the point by that point in the third season NBC wanted to get rid of Star Trek because they wanted to not have to deal with Roddenberry anymore. Yeah. And even though they weren't really dealing with Roddenberry very much because Fred Freiberger was the day-to-day showrunner, it was still Roddenberry's name on at the end of the show as executive producer. Roddenberry still, you know, was involved a little, maybe not as much as he was at the beginning of season three, but it had more, I would say, just based on what I've read, and I've read a lot, that it had more to do with the problems that that Paramount and NBC had with Roddenberry than it did for anything else about the show. It's it's so funny. Like I, you know, I spent a lot of time on the cinephiles kind of busting the the great genius director myth. Not that there aren't great genius directors, but the idea that like one human is totally responsible for all the great ideas. And that's not how this stuff works. And I and think that, that's, that's the auteur theory, right? Yeah. That, that yeah. Andrew Saris, uh, uh, the film critic Andrew Saris created the auteur theory that the director was the main vision of the film. And you you're debunking that. It's it's bull. I mean, it's not that it's not that Stanley Kubrick's not a genius. Mm-hmm. He is a genius. But Stanley Kubrick didn't make everything in the movie. And the idea that these directors are like, I have the whole movie in my head. And that's just not true. Yeah, and Stanley yeah. Co- Kubrick would say that wasn't true. Yeah, so, like, Stanley Kubrick couldn't have done 2001 without Douglas Trumbull. Exactly. Well, right. and, you know, when he started working on Strange Love, it was a drama. It took a year of them trying to write a drama before they decided to turn it into a comedy. Like, <laughs> the, I mean, there's all of and, and as we discovered going through this whole show, how much time have we talked about Finnerman or Ralph Sinensky or, you know, David Gerald or this writer or that per and, and, and how many times have these episodes had problems that were then changed? And Gene Roddenberry, of course, coming in with a great idea Montana. or all these people came together to make this thing. And that is and, and I think the canonization of Gene Roddenberry as the great bird of the galaxy has perpetuated this idea. Not that the guy's not a genius and we're all, you and I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for Gene Roddenberry. Right. But the guy's, he's not perfect, you know, right. and he correct. didn't create all of the, you know, how, you know, how much have we talked about Gene Kuhn, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. And it, and, and it sounds as if the, you know, the fall of Star Trek, he created it and he's partially responsible for its demise. You know? That is not that that is accurate. So I, I'll give my final thoughts on this episode are this. There is a very, very good chance that I will never in however many years I have left in my life, rewatch whom gods destroy and the children shall lead the Mark of Gideon. I might rewatch Lights of Zatar. I feel the same way. I feel like the that's same way. There, I, obviously we pointed out a bunch of problems with it, but there are also some nice things in it. It's not a terrible episode. It's OK. It's okay. I agree. It's watchable. It's entertaining. Uh, If you don't scrutinize it like we do week to week on Enterprise Incidents, there's a lot to like about it. And there's there's stuff to not like about it. But this is an episode that while it's not one that I watch over and over over and over again frequently, it is one that I would watch over again. And I was talking about Shari Lewis, how she co-wrote the screenplay or the teleplay. Well, Shari Lewis said, 
We loved no show better than Star Trek. I told my agent to call the producer, and his agent said, don't be silly. They won't take you seriously. So I fired that agent, and I made the call myself. I spoke to Freddie Freiberger, who immediately gave me an appointment. I wanted to do a love story for a character who hadn't had a love story, and we liked Scotty. As for hmm. Scotty, James Dillon said, it was nice to have an episode that focused on Scotty, although the fixation on Mira Romaine seemed to come out of nowhere. That's from James Dillon. The fixation was more of a matter of a plot contrivance to give the episode more emotional depth rather than something that flowed naturally out of Scotty's personality. And that goes back to everything you were saying about the flaws with just like, oh, suddenly he's got this fixation on her versus discovering her and falling in love with her and making it feel natural and organic versus contrived. But Mira Romaine, Jan Chutan, said, James Dewan was an awfully nice guy, very sweet. I have two children, a boy and a girl. When I did Star Trek, they were little kids. Someone brought them to the set and William Shatner was great. He was so wonderful to them and they adored him. I enjoyed doing the whole show every second of it. And the episode's director, Herb Kenwood, said, William Shatner was a nice man, very warm, very nice. Leonard Nimoy was also very easy to work with and he took his part very seriously. Um, so before we go and g- give you all the social media stuff that we already did at the beginning of the episode, I think I kind of have a question, which is, you know, we started this podcast because both you and I love to celebrate Star Trek and the the brilliance of this show that's affected us so much. And I feel like personally, I've really struggled as we've gotten into these lesser episodes of how to approach them, because it isn't actually that fun to just criticize a show for an hour and a half. And yet I've, I personally have a hard time turning off that part of my brain that is trying to fix stuff. And so what I'm curious about is just for the people listening is how, how, what, what would you like is the best way to approach our last few episodes that maybe aren't as good as some of the great episodes of the series. Do you like hearing us kind of find all the flaws in the episode or me rewriting things or like, what is it that you would like as to, to best celebrate the show as we get towards the end? I guess that's my question. You know, that's a great point. That's a great question. I feel the same way. Uh, the last few episodes, I, I've approached them not with the same level of excitement and enthusiasm that I did with 95% of the other episodes yeah. we covered of the original series on Enterprise Incident. And it's a, like I said, it's tragic and it's heartbreaking to see this, this show that was so great, that scaled so many new heights, that was so groundbreaking and trailblazing and, and responsible, really. Not exaggerating in any way, Steve, when I say that Star Trek informed my life. It absolutely positively did. And it breaks my heart to point out the flaws. But at the same time, and it's funny you brought up that question, because I was looking through some of the comments on our Facebook page, which is Enterprise Incidents, and I saw a couple of comments that actually did praise our approach to criticizing Star Trek when it was bad. Because when it's great, and it was great a whole lot, we said how great it was. Right. That we're being honest and we are calling it like it is. And someone else had commented, I wish I had written this down, uh, but someone else commented that they learn more about Star Trek through the episodes that we don't like than through the ones that we mm. do like because we point out the flaws. And and there is there is absolutely merit to that. I would say – 
just to answer your question with one episode, Steve, I'm going to say that when we get to the, the, the way to Eden, which is an episode that seems ripe for the picking in terms of like criticizing and putting it down. I say, we look for the good in that episode and we try our best to, you know, make it a positive, positive experience covering an episode that gets put down quite a bit, at least, at least for the way to Eden and see how we do. Uh, I think this is a good, this is a good plan. And and maybe, maybe we can even, and it's funny. The good thing is I get to talk to my friend Scott, which is fun. The bad thing is being critical for, you know, an hour and a half isn't so fun. So maybe there's a way, maybe a way to do it is like at the beginning of the episode to say, okay, here's the things wrong with this episode. Now we're going to forget about that and we're just going to enjoy it and celebrate it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I think as we, as we, you know, as much as we all wanted to see the original series go out on a high, which they almost did. If all our yesterdays would have been the last episode, um, I want to see us bring our voyage of the original series on Enterprise Incidents go out on a high. And I think, I think it's a good idea for us to look at the positive, especially because I think like some of the episodes coming up are actually pretty decent. The Cloudminders is next. Uh, yeah. I think that's a really solid episode. Like I said, I love all our yesterdays. Um, you know, the, the Savage Curtain is pretty cool. You know, I like it. It's all right. It's all right. It's been a long time since I saw it. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I will say I, I've never been a big fan of uh, Requiem for Methuselah, and I certainly uh, don't like Turnabout Intruder, but I love Shatner's performance in it. So these last, uh, you know, these last few episodes are going to be interesting, but uh, I am looking forward, I have to say, to doing our deep dive of The Way to Eden when we get around to it, because I think- okay. That'll be uh it'll be it'll be a challenge for us to celebrate that one. But I actually think that there is a lot to celebrate about it because I watched it recently and I was like, you know what? This isn't so bad. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, we would love to, as we mentioned at the very top of the episode, Facebook, search for Enterprise Incidents, enter incidents on Twitter, Enterprise Incidents on Instagram. Please subscribe to the show and leave your comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts. And of course, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode as well. Click on in the show notes. There's a link to Anchor where you can support the show. And if you want to reach me, you can do it at SR Morris on Twitter and SR Morris one on Instagram. And I mentioned that I was going to mention The Exorcist at the end of this episode, not because I was thinking about how related to the episode, but because Halloween is coming up. And on the Cinephiles, we have done an annual Halloween episode every year, including The Exorcist, The Shining, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Scream. And coming this year, which we have not recorded yet, but will be released on Halloween, probably a two-parter, in honor of James Caan, will be Misery. Oh, Misery is a excellent, fantastic movie. So that's coming up on The Cinephiles. Scott, that, how do people reach you? That is a great, great movie, Dirty Birdie. Uh, you can reach <laughs> me on Twitter and Instagram at Movie Mance. And like I said, coming up next on Enterprise Incidents is The Cloud Minders. Now, for many, many years... I thought it was the cloud miners because they're miners, you know, and it wasn't until more recently that I looked at the title credits and I went, oh, it's minders with a D. It's kind of like, oh, I never realized it was who mourns for Adonais. I thought it was who mourns for Adonis. So all these revelations, new things that you pick up on Star Trek, even after all these years. But yes, the cloud miners is next on Enterprise Incidents. So please join us. Thank you for your support. And until next time, keep going. Oh,